Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey, everybody, Pascal here. Another episode of Disrupt Disruption today with Amy Raiden. I am super stoked to have Amy here. She's an independent advisor, director and author. Uh, she works with startups and larger companies on their innovation strategies. She's got a long career with Fortune 100 companies in consumer finance, marketing, digital transformation. She draws on a big body of work of actually being in the trenches and doing this whole quote unquote disruption game. Amy, super stoked to have you this morning. I'm really delighted to have this conversation with you, Pascal. Thanks for having me. Amy, my first question is always, how do you define innovation and disruption from your perspective? Yeah, so it's a great question, one I've debated many times. So to me, innovation is viable new ways to solve the real problems that real people have. So viable versus cool stuff, got to be a real business model behind it and the potential eventually to scale. New, which to me could be new to a customer segment new to a geography, new to an industry, you know, new to the world. And you've got to be solving a real problem that real people have. So I think innovation starts with understanding people's needs. And if not solving a real problem, you're not going to end up with a viable anything that can scale. And, and really, you're not making a difference. I'll tell you a funny story about disruption versus innovation. The, the way I got into this whole game was I, I spent the first chapter of my career as a direct marketer. I was getting the mail out at American Express. And when this thing called the internet came along, I started to get a lot of recruiter phone calls. And everyone was some recruiter who was doing work for a Sand Hill Road investor in Silicon Valley. They had $20 million and they had a URN. I call it like nameyournown.com. And I'm very practical. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm one of five kids. So I grew up in a whole different, my dad was a pharmacist. I grew up in a very down to earth, you got to put food on the table environment. I was like, this just makes no sense. It takes more than a URL and $20 million and some VCs to build a business. But this is kind of interesting what's going on. I want to you know, look into this. And I, I saw the connection between my skill set, which was working with technologists and data to create value for people. And I said, wow, there's something here. And that's when I made the leap. And when I was at City, my CEO called me to his office one day and he said, well, I want you to focus on disruptive innovation because we're not focusing on this and we need to focus on it. And he was a really sharp guy and saw the signals that the business model was changing. And he could really see the future and saw that the underlying drivers of the business model were, were getting weaker and were unlikely to be sustainable. But then I went and being an English major, I went and looked disruption up in the dictionary. And I'm always interested in the art and disrupt means to destroy what's there. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, I'm, I'm not going to be too popular around here. And he would always introduce me as the person who was working on disruptive innovation. And I'm like, I'm going to get killed. But what I think 
people, I think drawing this distinction is not a good use of people's time or mental space because I don't think you really know when you're starting out. I mean, innovation comes from having an insight that there's an opportunity being driven by change. And it could be a change in consumer behavior or if you're B2B and your customer's behavior, it could be a change in technology. It could be a change in just the macro environment and regulation. And, but something's changing that's opening up a window to opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know mm-hmm. if it's gonna be incremental innovation, which doesn't mean small. Incremental innovations can be hugely impactful to a business. You don't know if eventually you're going to destroy what's there. Hmm. You've got to stick to the fact that you're seeing something changing that spells an opportunity and get out in the market and start playing around with prototypes and experimenting and learning. And you really don't know where it's going to go or how long it's going to take, or if it's just going to bomb out. So I never am a fan of spending a time debating. I think when it's time to spend time on disruption is when you may see the weak signals of change that could potentially spell a disruption. And that's an area to invest effort in a larger portfolio of innovation opportunities that you're building. Let me stay in this thought a little longer. From your experience, how do you manage the tension between the old and the new then? The core and edge, your existing business and the new thing, which might have the potential to, as you point out, destroy the existing. Yeah. Well, that tension is a really key word because there is a lot of tension. I mean, I was working in a business, again, referencing back to, to my time at City. We were delivering... $5 billion to the bottom line of the corporation at the time, or almost about 20 or 25% of the PL. So we had a big accountability to deliver the results, not to mention we had tens of millions of customers who we were serving. We had critical strategic partners. So we had a lot of stakeholders who were, and, and employees who were expecting us to deliver. There's so many levels answering this question. If, It it starts with leadership. You have to have at the top of the organization a real commitment, head and heart, by the CEO that they transfer to their executive team and for which people are held accountable to the need to have some R&D going towards exploring what's next. So there's got to be a deal. The world is changing. Okay, we can't just hope and pray we've got to put some effort into getting ready for this. And even if everything we do fails, we will have built the muscle memory and the execution ability that creates momentum so that as things change, you've got that ability to go with it. Because if you're coming from a standing start, you're always going to be behind and you're really at risk. So it really starts with leadership at the top of the house and then taking responsibility for building the capabilities in the organization. So the listening capabilities, the the talent, really looking at your talent and understanding how do I broaden my talent base because the people and the skills 
that got me here aren't going to get me there? Am I fostering a culture of curiosity where people want to continuously learn? Because we're not going to learn by going to school and then getting a degree and going back to the office. We have to be continuously curious and continuously learning to keep up with what's happening. So am I, have I created an open environment where people are encouraged to try things and where failure is truly treated as learning? There's a myriad of issues that the senior, that start at the top of the house that have to become part of the operating model for the business. And it's very hard. I, I don't think companies have a choice. So when you talk to one of your clients today and they're coming to you and the typical request might be help us, quote unquote, transform, whatever that means. Where do you start with them? What have you found is the, here's the non-negotiables, here's the three things we know, whatever the number is. Here's the, the, right. the couple of things you have to do because we know from our experience that this is what it takes. Yeah. I, I like to start by talking to customers. I'm amazed at how many employees and senior executives of companies are not engaging with their customers outside of a sales conversation or some relationship management, but really going into the customer's environment and walking in their shoes and understanding the full context of why they do business with them. And it's interesting, when I was, I was doing research a couple of years ago for a presentation I was giving, and I came across an, an article, I think it, it must've been an HBR article where a team had gone off and done a study of how executives, how CEOs spent their time. Mm -hmm. And they interviewed hundreds of executives around the world. And of this pretty diverse group, they were only spending, I think, 3% of their time with customers. I think about how shocking that is. But I'll tell you, I've been doing work over the last year with, with a middle market life sciences tech company and you know, very, very sales and product driven, right? really typical for a tech company. And they wanted to change. They had some big things happening in their environment and they needed to really think differently about their go-to-market strategy. So it's like an innovation strategy. And so, first of all, I had to convince them. It took a few months to convince the head of sales that it was okay for me to go talk to customers, right? So sales... Salespeople can be like very, very protective of those relationships. They think they own them. And I don't think anybody owns the customer. Um, then when I finally broke through, they gave me a very carefully curated list that the salespeople approved of, of like eight people who I could talk to. And I got to tell you, it was like the company has undertaken some major changes in the past year because just from a large handful of well-constructed, objective interviews, because I had no stake in the game, right? Other than to help them be successful. It's like holding up a mirror to them of here's how your customers see you. Here's why they really hire you. And here are some of their operating challenges. And as a result of that, they've started a whole new business line. They've made changes. They've revamped their sales strategy. They're rethinking their brand messaging because all of their greatest brand assets aren't even, hadn't even been present in their materials. And all of these things are, for that company, this is an innovation strategy that's creating all these new pathways to growth and better meeting their customers' needs. So I always say, are you really listening to your customers? I think that's the place to start. And 
where do you take it from there? Uh, because presumably, I assume that even if you show typically someone, hey, right. your customers think about your business differently, there might still be a lot of resistance. There might still be a lot of other things which just get in your way to then act on yep. it. Yep, because it's always the short term, right? Why change? Mm -hmm. So I think what happens then is you've got to acknowledge that it kind of marketing 101, which is the WIFM principle, what's in it for me? So when you go back, and I'm not saying that with cynicism. I mean, I think you have to acknowledge that everybody coming into your organization is coming there for a reason, even though they love you and they're dying a slave way for the brand, they've got a family or relationships, they've got personal goals, they have their own needs. So you have to understand where employees are coming from. And no, there's a lot of fear of change. And people, I come from the starting point that most people want to be successful. They want to do a good job. And so... You've got to chunk what you're trying to do down into small manageable steps. You've got to do, which is the starting point for helping people overcome the fear and anxiety and change. You have to show them that it is feasible and possible. And I think you do that. That's where piloting and experimentation become so critical. You have to help them reframe how they're thinking about and the business, because a lot of, certainly a lot of what gets in the way is, well, this is the way we've always done it and it's always worked. And you have to start to introduce the skills and capabilities so that you actually can empower people and help them build their confidence to be successful. So I get really almost agitated when company, when leaders say, well, we have to get rid of, we have the wrong people to do this. We have to get rid of our people. And I think that you've got a few, you've got a few different kinds of people. You have people who sort of see the future, they want to get there. You need to help them build the skills and confidence. You want to find those people. I used to call them in one of my jobs, the hand raisers. I would keep a list in one of the companies. All the people who came to me and liked what I, I was like, those are the people. I said, those people get it. They want to, you have people who are on the fence may buy it and but they may not you've got to kind of work them with communications and influence and help them see your successes and then you have people who just are going to be permanent resistors my role as an executive was to help make sure that those people were not perennial blockers so you have to sort of almost do a persona analysis of your organization but you've got to fuel the progress once you find the people by empowering them with the skills and capabilities and a really, really strong model for experimentation. So you're rapidly cycling through tests at very low cost that produce data. And it's not just the data that gets people on the board, but they see that it's executionally feasible. I think that almost becomes more important than the data in the early days. People have to see it is possible to do this and not jeopardize the business and do it at relatively low cost. How do you get an organization to buy into this? Uh, one of the common responses I hear is this experiment is great, but it doesn't contribute to the bottom line at all, which it doesn't typically, right? It's small by definition, it's small and thus really doesn't generate a lot of revenue, a lot of attention, et cetera. How do you manage that? How do you get people still right. buying in and seeing the potential in it? Right. Well, I don't think you can get there. I, I think it's hard to make any progress at all without a CEO who's going to sponsor what you're doing. So that's, to me, that's a non-starter. You've got to have a CEO who's who's willing to, who wants to go on the journey. 
And I was very lucky at, at certain points in my career to have that sponsorship who see it as a long game hmm. and who understand financially that there's some small level of investment that needs to be made out of the gate and that it can be managed in the context of the broader PL. So we always looked at our early days investment as even if everything fails, which it never would, we had some really great ideas, it, it was manageable, right? So I think the sponsorship is really important. And then you've got to get something to work so that you start to inspire. So people start to see it and people need to see that you're in it for the long haul, that you need to persist against the resistance. I put a lot of emphasis always on talent, on having that core team of people who were bringing very diverse skill sets and perspective to the table, because that's a really important part of being able to move quickly. So just having that diversity on a core team of people who really had the passion and had the skills to, to drive change. And I guess the last thing I'll say is I built, and again, referencing back to City, that was a business, this business model was very much direct marketing driven, highly analytical and consumer lending, right? So highly analytical data driven. So. I played to the strengths of the organization and built a really, really strong partnership and working relationship with our head of decision analytics and with members of the risk management team. So I think in some organizations, there's a tendency to assume oh, those people are going to say no, like, let me block them out. And I'm like, no, you have to bring those people to the table. And if, uh, you know, the DNA of that particular culture was very much decision analytics driven like, okay, let's let's partner with them. And they brought invaluable skills to the table that my team never could have had to help us basically. We said, well, what can we learn from the direct marketing book that can help us here? And direct marketing is just a fountain of approach around quick test and learn. And so then you're doing it in a way that looks familiar to the org, familiar enough to the organization that you can have a conversation about what's happening. So build on what in your DNA can help you and grab onto that and build on it. That was incredibly important to our success. You mentioned the term long-term and long-haul uh, a couple of times in your, in your explanation. How long do you think this stuff takes? How long does it actually take to do quote-unquote transformation? Oh, I mean, in a large, complex organization, the, the type that I was in, I think to see scale and feel like you're really getting traction a couple of years. Hmm. But if you're able to focus, you should be able to start to generate proof points within months. And so able to focus Can you find, usually if you're leading innovation or like I was leading the, the digital transformation of City's credit card business, you're viewed as a cost center, right? I didn't actually own P&L. So that automatically puts you in a little bit of a behind position in a traditional product-centric business. So if you can quickly build a, a strong relationship of trust with somebody who's got more power, who's got PL power, and get some experiments moving that 
play directly to their goals. It's coming to work and viewing your job, not as I'm here to shake things up and transform the organization, but I'm here to make my colleagues successful. And I wanna help them see that one of the tool sets they need in their arsenal is a transformation tool set and really help them see that you are there to make them succeed and get experiments moving because you're going to need other people in the organization to be part of, I mean, all these things are cross-functional. So you may have the money. The money is the, capital is the least of your problems in a big company. The money is always there to do some tests. You know, these are multi-billion dollar companies. You may need a hundred thousand dollars for tests. It's like nothing, but are you going to get people to show up at the meetings from compliance, from IT, from product, from marketing, from brand? You need the people with their institutional knowledge, their skills, their perspective, and their decision-making authority to help you get the, and you want their enthusiasm and you want the A players to be assigned to your stuff. So you've got to build those colleague partnerships with the P&L drivers. I think it's really, and that's something that I really learned over time that if I had understood that soon, my teams could have moved a lot faster. And you come in and people, you come in and you're the transformation person and people will see you as an adversary. That will be a natural tendency. And you have to completely flip that perception to people seeing you as you're there to help them be successful and you're bringing something out of you. If we're talking briefly about the yin to the yang, what do you find are the common, the challenges, the pitfalls? Yeah, I think the, the culture. My advice to my former self and to anyone who comes, a lot of pe people think, some people think I'm this sage at this point because I did this for so many years. So a lot of younger people come to me for career advice. It's watch, watch out for the culture, really examine the culture. And I think whether it's innovation or digital transformation or any role, I think most people tend to focus in, you know, you're making a, a career choice. You look at the role itself, right? I think give at least equal weight to the culture because culture is, is really, really hard to change. And I think there's no perfect culture. I think if you want to do this kind of work, examine the culture and make sure that at least there's enough good stuff in the DNA that you can get traction. Because there will be things in any culture of any established organization that aren't going to be helpful to innovate, but you want there to be enough raw material there to help you get moving. So do that diagnostic upfront and be clear on the, the cultural attributes that are going to help and the ones that are going to maybe be inhibitors. Amy, let me end with my last question. I'm just curious from your perspective, how bearish or bullish, how excited or you know, dismayed are you if you look at the broad landscape um, of incumbent organizations that they can actually do this? Because I think it sounds easy. It's hard to do, as we all know. And I'm curious to, from your perspective, how likely do you think it actually is for your average incumbent organization to, when they embark on this journey, if they even embark on this journey, to be successful? Well, I guess it depends on how you define success. I think some will do it and some will not. I think it really comes down to the leadership. I, I'm a person who I like to think more about the possibility. I don't like to focus on the doom and gloom. I, I think coming out of COVID, 
it's it's definitely been a, a wake up call for people even bigger than even bigger i think back to the financial crisis i think about we've been through some very big momentous events in the last couple of decades i think this has been a wake up call for a lot of people and i'm actually pleasantly surprised at how many businesses and leaders are seeing this as seeing the opportunity and how for so many it was the past year has been an accelerant for investing in technology, investing in digital experience, in thinking differently about the employee experience, which is so basic to culture. And maybe that comes from some people don't change. A lot of organizations won't change until they have to. And this has forced the moment of reckoning. And so I think, I think that's positive. So I think on balance, probably more positive now than, than a couple of years ago. Amy, on that note, let's end it here because this is the perfect ending note, being positive about the future, being even more positive positive about the future than you were a couple of years ago. This has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I love the fact that we got into the questions around leadership, a very a reoccurring theme if you listen to the other um, episodes on this interview series. We hear this a lot that it really has to come from Uh, strong leadership and truly bought in leadership. I love the practicality you brought to the conversation as in, here's the things we need to do in, on a, in a very practical manner if we are going into an organization, really want to help the organization to transform. Amy, thank you so, so, so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and um, lots and lots of learnings in here. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this uh, episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, Check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. Also know that this is part of an effort of us writing a book about disruption. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled towards that. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and just like this. Um, there's some weird algorithm thing, which, you know, if you like it, they will like us. So do me a favor, do that. And if you've got any questions, any comments, anyone I should talk to, drop us an email. Um, easiest email address for me to reach it is P, just the letter P, at finet.com. With that being said, thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you here soon. <laughs>